Hello, listeners. We are back again with another episode of the Indian Affairs Department podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, and I would like for him to introduce himself. Well, good afternoon. My name is Joseph Michael Chavria, and I serve as governor for Santa Clara Pueblo. And hello, this is Shana Naranjo, also from Santa Clara Pueblo, and I'm really excited to have here with us today um, our governor, Governor Chavaria. He also serves as the vice chairman of the All Pueblo Council of Governors. Today, we're going to be learning about his experience in both positions. All right, Shana, well, why don't you go ahead and start us off with our first question? So our first couple questions are going to be related to education. So for those of you who don't know, in 2016, Santa Clara took their elementary school from a BIE, so a federally controlled school by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, to a grant school status. And so they are currently a tribally controlled school known as Khopwal Community School. So can you kind of give us a little background on the process of being a tribally controlled grant school? So the process that Santa Clara took uh, to the tribal council and the community was about maybe a four-year process of really engaging the community on their thoughts of how do we transition from a Brevardian Affairs controlled school for, for the past hundred years into a community school, which we have more uh, operational uh, guidance uh, of our children's uh, future, educational future. So it was very important to really address a strategy of how do we get this accomplished and so finally in 2016, uh, we did a resolution to Tribal Council, uh, took all these uh, discussions from our community, from parents, grandparents, and one of the major factors was teaching our native language, which is Tewa, uh, in our community school as it relates to our children. And so that was very important. So I believe as going forward, uh, having to create a curriculum around the Tewa language as it uh, deals with the common core, the standards, of science, math, the technology was very important. And so we are looking at the outcome of our students to someday be a governor, to someday be a judge, to someday be a law enforcement officer, an attorney or lawyer. So you got to start having those type of educational systems in place uh, now, but also tying in our cultural, religious, and traditional ways of life, uh, especially if it deals with our table language. So as governor, um, during this transition, you were involved in the fundamental change within the education system for Santa Clara, but now today in 2019, especially with the Yazi Martinez versus the state of New Mexico case, it's really a chance for all us um, Native people in New Mexico to change and adapt the education system into what we want it for our future kids. So based on your experience at the tribal level, what did you learn from that process? Because the lessons learned is very critical because what this case is all about is the public uh, school systems. And so having to deal with the public school systems from your uh, school boards to your superintendents to the staffs within your respective district is very important. One size uh, doesn't fit all because as tribes, uh, pueblos, and nations, we are all unique. And so it's very important of engaging proactively with those districts that you're students attend and having to fully educate them on who we are, where we come from, and why it's important to now address the specifics as it relates to Indian education and how that ties into the public education department, uh, the secretaries, but also the Indian Affairs Department, but also the governor, the state of New Mexico uh, is very critical. And so having those proactive strategies, again, from lessons learned is very important of how do we now go into this type of uh, session 
to get some opportunities uh, for the future of our children. Yeah, thank you for those words. Um, so also going back on to when you're talking about Santa Clara and the community school, um, you mentioned kind of creating the curriculum around the table language. And so we know native languages are a big component of education. So can you kind of give us a little background on what Santa Clara is currently doing? So currently working with our, our grandmas and grandpas, our prized treasures, our elders in the community, uh, there are mentors that, that taught us our Teo language. Uh, our Teo language is oral, nothing is written. So having to really put that into documents was our challenge of how do we write our language? How do we then uh, teach and what do we teach on? Because the sensitivity of our culture religion is sensitive to, to us as Santa Clara people and you can't over you can't step over that boundary because uh, you don't want to disseminate a lot of sensitive information. A lot of that uh, information is taught within our our homes, our communities, and respective societies that we belong to. And so, having to really understand what can we teach, maybe colors, numbers, names, directions, uh, was very important. But again, how do you tie that into science, to math, to technology? Uh, because maybe there's no words for some of those uh, in English. Uh, so that was also a challenge. But uh, this is very important because we, you got to start somewhere. It's not perfect. So we continue to make uh, amendments, revisions, changes to that. But it's a full-time engagement, again, with our community, especially grandma and grandpa, to help us. And during that whole process, um, was there a lot of community feedback and interaction with like the parents or the elders within the community? And yes, and during that time, like I say, during that four-year time, we had a lot of community events, community meetings. Maybe at first only a handful of parents, grandparents, community members attended. But now that we transition, we fill the, the room now. We probably have 100, 150 folks that attend these community sessions because we're fully engaged now. In order to have a community school, you have to have 100% community buy-in. And so now that they see the direction we're taking, they're now wanting to be part of that process. And their thoughts, their ideas are fully documented. Now they contribute to the overall success of our students because now it's a community school. And so I think that's very critical uh, going forward of having to fully engage our entire community because it's not just the governor, the tribal council, our directors, it's a community school. And so having to involve them is very critical of making some uh, proactive changes, positive changes for uh, the education of our children. So on that note, it sounds like you've been implementing some great programs there in Santa Clara, but how do you get the support for the young to continue on into higher educational levels? And so right now we do have a department and youth uh, learning uh, program. And it's one of our, our directors, Jeremy Oyenki, sits down with our students and creates a career path or educational pathway, uh, asking them but providing them opportunities that we have within our community from economic development ventures from tribal programs to then uh, put this back to our students and say these are opportunities for someday you graduate you may want to come back home and be partaking of director a ceo a cfo and then having to tailor their educational plan uh, to meet that need and that's building that internal capacity and capability for us, we want all of our tribal members to take those important positions. Why hire someone else when we at home should be in that situation? But 
uh, creating that workforce is, is essential and education is also key. Uh, but it's, it is a difficult challenge because it, we live in two worlds. Yes, you have the Western society's concept of education, but for us as native people, Santa Clara people, it's a religion, the traditions, the culture that is priority. And we gotta remember who we are, where we come from, but having to engage and entwine that uh, traditional uh, education and the Western society's concept of education is very critical uh, going forward. Um, so on that note, we wanna move into a different topic. And so I think we're gonna transition into talking about a lot of the, the elderly in connection with the youth within Santa Clara. So I'll start it off with the first question in relation to that. So we know that Santa Clara has an adult daycare center, and it's one of the few Pueblos that do. So we just want to ask you, what types of programs does the adult daycare center provide? When I was elected as governor in 2006 and 2007, we heard from grandma and grandpa saying that they didn't want to be sent to a nursing home off reservation because they were not taken care of, they weren't fed, they were always being hurt. So we took that as a cry for help and heard grandma and grandpa, and then we, we worked very hard, myself and then Lieutenant Governor Alvin Warren, to lobby uh, the state legislature and also the federal government uh, to do some, some funds for planning design, but also construction. And so now we're in 2019, our adult daycare is fully operational. We have a director and staff, so that loved ones that you know uh, can drop off their grandma uh, their moms, their dads, their aunts, their uncles, their caretakers, during the nighttime, they can drop them off. Their, the clients are fed, uh, they're taken care of, they're bathed, making sure that their medicines are given their med medications, uh, take them on, to, uh, on visits to maybe bowling, uh, maybe bingo, to feast days. Uh, so they're trying to interact uh, with the entire community and just right next door to the adult daycare center is actually our senior citizens building. And so we have that inter interaction between all, all of our, not just Santa Clara tribal members, but it's also members from Okeowinge, uh, Saudi Fonso. Uh, but being that we got state funds, it now includes uh, non-Indian uh, elders that participate in the adult daycare. So it's a multicultural center uh, that's very important. Um, and what's very uh, unique is that right across the street is our community school. And so with that, we had the engagement from grandma and grandpa, now being the teachers to our children, and then children coming over to help them with activities, you know, doing plays for them, doing Christmas carols. Uh, so all that is important, which grandma and grandpa uh, do like, and then the children then uh, get that uh, involvement with elders uh, throughout the school year. Um, once again, thank you for your incredible responses, Governor Chavaria. Um, so let's move into the next topic, which is leadership. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that you were first elected governor in uh, 06, 07? And so now, 2019, what is it, like 13 years later, you've elevated to vice chairman of the All Public Council of Governors as well as your title of governor of Santa Clara. And so I just wanted to know, within those 13 years, what did you learn and what has changed within your leadership style? So I guess as growing up, you never, I never dreamt of being a governor for my Pueblo. And so when I was first elected, I first was elected in 2005 uh, as a lieutenant governor. 
And then 2006, 7, and 8, I served as governor for my Pueblo. And then I worked as a water, water quality coordinator, a forestry director, and then we was, we was re-elected back to governor in 2014, not to president. So I did see the tremendous changes in uh, the bureaucracy, the political uh, environment, uh, not just at the federal level, but also the state level. And so it's very important to understand those uh, systems. You know, and for us as public people, it wasn't even until 1913 that we were considered wards of the federal government after the United States versus Sandoval. Before that, you know, our, this is why our lands were taken away, what they call alienated. And so, because we weren't wards or trustees of the federal government, we have these checkerboard areas within our communities. And so having to fully understand what is trust responsibility, what is tribal consultation, what are the federal laws and statutes that pertain to us as Pueblo people in relation to the Indian federal law system is very crucial because there's specific Pueblo laws that are only specific to the Pueblo Indians here in New Mexico, such as the Pueblo Lands Act in 1924 and the 1930 proceedings that really went to identify those lands within our reservations that were squatted on for a number of years where surveys were actually done and patents were given to non tribal members when now they had actual land within our reservation. This is why they call it checkerboard areas. And so now we're dealing with rights of way, easements for roads, water lines, sewer lines. For example, in, in Santa Clara, we had the city right within the exterior boundaries of Santa Clara Pueblo. The city of Espanola is right within the exterior boundaries of Santa Clara. And so over time, they've had expired easements, had expired uh, rights of ways. And so we're trying to negotiate to make sure that they're back in compliant. And so that's just an example of what has changed uh, in my time. And so serving my first term in 20, 2006, 2019, um, has really changed my philosophy of leadership. Um, as I said, I never thought I'd be a governor, but it's having to learn as you grow up within your community and what's very critical is learning and comprehending and speaking your native language. If I didn't speak my native language and didn't comprehend, I don't think our community would have put me into these positions uh, that many times to serve as governor for Santa Clara Public. And so since then, like I've mentioned, you also have the title and serve as vice chairman of the All Pueblo Council of Governors. Mm -hmm. um, so what have you learned from taking on that position and what's it like? So uh, I just don't serve as governor for Santa Clara Pueblo, but I also serve as a chairman for the eight Northern Indian Pueblos Council with the eight Pueblos north of Santa Fe. And then, as Shana had mentioned, the vice chairman for the All Pueblo Council of Governors for the past two years. And so as you serve in this role as a vice chairman elected, elected by your fellow governors for these positions, it's advocating for all 19 Pueblos in New Mexico to include the Pueblo of El Sur down in Texas. And so having to really create a strategic plan of activities that impact our respective communities and writing that down, and then going back to, again, on a Pueblo-wide effort to lobby back in Washington, D.C., to you know, lobby in Santa Fe. You know, one of our biggest lobbying efforts and advocacy is right now the Chaco Canyon. Uh, Chaco Canyon is a major uh, cultural resource that contains many traditional cultural properties and it's now being impacted by a possible oil and gas development. Uh, this includes also Bears Ears up in Utah, uh, includes Mesa Verde. And so a lot of these things that happen at the federal level also impact us as tribes as it relates to our traditional cultural 
our religious uses of those lands, so it's essential that we protect that. Yes, there is a section, what they call the Section 106 process, but once the site is uh, desecrated, you can't go and replicate it, you can't go and rebuild it, you can't go and place it somewhere else. So now's the time that we actually go out there and do these uh, cultural assessments uh, to really determine how do we help. We're not against it, we're just wanting to help out to make sure our traditions, our culture, our religious activities are, are protected by such activities um, because they aren't aware of our, our, our uses of those uh, sacred lands that are out there. Kuntawaha, Governor. Mm-hmm. So one of the last things we have is, do you have any last words to say before we end this podcast? I would just like to say it's an important time uh, here in New Mexico with the new administration to Governor uh, Lujan Grisham and the various uh, secretaries that have been appointed by the Senate, uh, but also the staff and how we can now uh, fully uh, strengthen the uh, State Tribal Collaboration Act as it relates to the interaction between state government and uh, the, the sovereign governments of the Pueblos, the tribes and nations, you know, the 23 tribes with the 19 Pueblos, the two Apache tribes, and the Navajo Nation. We are resi- residents of uh, the state of New Mexico, and so it's very important to really strategically identify the concerns, the challenges, but also bring solutions to the table. And that State Tribal Collaboration Act is sit, or helps to put these um, uh, discussions into a, a momentum going forward to fully collaborate, consult, and have an understanding of our unique challenges within each one of those 23 communities, because it's not all the same. And so it's very important to fully understand what's critical is leveraging, leveraging the resources, leveraging your financial uh, obligations, the, you know, the money. And how do we do that across all federal government agencies, state government agencies, but also tribal, and not having to include the philanthropic communities or non-governmental organizations to fill in those gaps is very critical because there's not no one set agency or department that has 100% of the funding. So you got to really figure out and think outside of the box of how do you come to that final outcome again for your children, your people and the ones, especially the ones that are yet to come. And so you laid on that foundation for the future. Well, Governor Chavaria, we want to both thank you for your time once again. Uh, I think that is all the time that we have for today's episode. Once again, uh, like and share us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be right back here with you again very soon. Thank you from the Indian Affairs Department. I'm Quentin Candelaria. And this is Shana Naranjo. Bye, everyone.